Indianapolis, Indiana. They're saying, oh my God, he's got it back again for the second time. Woo! Don't interrupt me! I'm not through gloating! You all thought that he was done being a kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, limousine-riding, shit-flying, son of a gun, at top of the IndyCar series! You were wrong! Welcome back to Motorsport 101. You are the world champion! Yeah, half the street now knows about this. <laughs> Hi everybody, <laughs> in case you've forgotten, I don't know where what's going on here, I'm Andre Harrison, this is episode 214 of Motorsport 101, and I think RJ just became clinically insane. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that wasn't an endorsement. Um, <laughs> but here we are. This is the second half of, you know, uh, a, a hectic double header, to uh, say the least. Um, we got through part one. Yesterday, talking about Formula One and MotoGP in Singapore and Aragon, respectively, and uh, all the uh, delightful drama that came from that. This time around, we're going to get through a absolutely whopping great big news section, and then talk about the IndyCar season finale at Laguna Seca, where you know some some guy you know won the championship. Apparently, RJ seems to quite like him. With a tear in my eye, <laughs> this is the greatest. Moment of my life. Woo! Indeed. <laughs> oh dear. RJ is here, as you've probably heard by now. Um, <laughs> Iron King is here as well. Hello, King. <laughs> hey, good times. Uh, we got we got a new rookie of the year. Bork, Bork, Bork. <laughs> Bork. <laughs> oh. Happy birthday. Oh dear. <laughs> and also still here somehow is Cam Buckley. Hello, Cam. Resident Simon Pagino stand here. Still one the Two positions away stand here. Uh, uh, I can live with it. Like excellent uh, runner up spot we got there, mate. Um <laughs> Cam, it's not like Still dusted your man at the five hundred. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like, it's like, Cam, we all know your man's won the 500, so really, who's the real winner here? Clearly, it's Norman Paginot. <laughs> yeah, Norman got on the trophy, bitch. Yeah! <laughs> we stand. <laughs> all hail Norman Paginot. Anywho, there's a heap in great deal of news to get through, so I'm going to get through the housekeeping real quick for, for, for some fun times. Um, we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Um, and if you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can at harrison101hd, at Ryan Eric King with two Ks, uh, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley917. 
Um, if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. These pair of both weeks' episodes are going up for all backers this weekend, not just ones at the $5 level. So, hey, you can get these two weeks' episodes for just a buck. Because I'm so nice like that. Um, so I was going to keep the Ric Flair voice going, but yeah, it's the sale of the century, y'all. <laughs> God help us all. Um, but yes, a buck for these two episodes. No better time than now to get involved. Why not? You know, and uh, yeah, you could go support us, which is great. $10 gets you into our supporters club for our Discord server. That Discord server is where you can listen to these episodes live as they go out. It is a fun time indeed. You can even interact with us live as these shows are being recorded. It's a fun time. I really recommend it. Um, <laughs> yes, way better than the gym cord, as Resi is pointing out. And if you... And, if you oh. and, and you can find all of that and much more on our website, uh, motorsport101.com where I put a new art, an article up in the in the past couple of days talking all about Mark Marquez, the dominance he's going through and the uh, shall we say cynicism regarding his uh, his um, arguably most dominant season to date um, so yeah, fun times for all involved there, hope you guys enjoyed the show let's get straight into the news and oh it's not a good sign when I look at the set list and the first thing listed is let's react to eSmart car racing. Yes, this is the Smart EQ42 E-Cup. Race 2 at Autodromo Piero Taruffi in Vallelunga, Italy. Yes, the the Smart EQ 4-2 E-Cup is a support series of the Blancpain GT Sprint series. Right. So, are these basically what... Is this, is this basically... Are what, is what I'm about to watch, is this basically Lucas Degrassi's wet dream? Mm, no. <laughs> now, why are we so quick to deny that, King? Because, number one, these are Smart 4-2s. If you ever seen a Smart 4-2... They're very, very small. Uh, can't reach high speeds easily. But, but King, they're smart for twos. Who hasn't wanted to race the smart car? <laughs> Who hasn't wanted to take a smart car-based tank into battle on the front lines? Just saying. How the hell is Daimler affording this when they just got fined a billion dollars? Whoa! Whoa breaking whoa, news! Whoa. That that was... This, this, this support series started at the start of the year... Things might change next year. <laughs> Just a tad. Um, but, uh, like, this clip apparently has done the rounds on, on the internet since its inception. Um, and this was at uh, Vallelunga, I believe. Um, yes. And, uh, gentlemen, have you got the clip ready? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, we yes. have it ready. Okay, hang on. I was going to wait for it to load up a bit. And, okay, so, we'll play the clip in three... Two, one, play, and uh, I'm live reacting as well. We're having a replay here. We have like we have an oh my god, he spun. We have an e we have an e spin out here, folks. The, what like the black car has spun out the white car, and now they're deciding to mate. Um, well, they need to get to the finish because this is the last lap. They're pushing him, but the 55 <laughs> car is still going after the 30. Yeah, they're trying to get back on Look track. Look at the turning radius on display. 
it's it, it's it's like that scene out of Titanic in the back of the carriage all over again. It's uh That was a fantastic <laughs> public lobby move, oh, by the oh, way. Oh yeah, yeah. With the twenty undercutting the thirty in the airpin corner. Yep. Now I think it can't get as bad. Well as yeah, it they turns gotta, out. They gotta run down the line. They still gotta run down the line and, Oh my god! Oh side over, side and over, and everybody is fine mostly, but I believe the guy in the fifty had his license stripped away from him <laughs> as a result of the events preceding that rollover. It, it did two and a half power rolls. I mean, wow. Who the fuck rolls a smart car? How is that possible? Those things have like, they don't have low centers of gravity. I, I, I'm surprised I could take a lot of these high G load corners to begin with. You're talking about well, Mercedes the, you're does talking do about, the development on them. I was like, you're talking about Top Gear's worst handling car of 2004 in their own award ceremony was the Smart 4 too, because it basically it went straight on. It was hilarious. <laughs> the, the hammerhead, and that's no wonder it, it got barreled and flipped over twice. Like there is, there's a joke here somewhere. Um, no wonder the car got barrel rolled twice because uh, yeah, when you start like driving after a dude after you punted him off. That's that's a no-brainer slam dunk. You're getting your license taken away, dude. Yeah. That wasn't very clever, but it was hilarious. <laughs> this was great. <laughs> ah. See, it's so much more fun Esther when there's not human beings inside the car. <laughs> there are human beings inside the what? car, and everyone walked away fine. <laughs> ha! Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, you you think these are like remote controlled? <laughs> they did it on Top Gear. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I thought they were. <laughs> No. Ask your doctor no. if the Smart 4-2 is right for you. Yeah. No, it isn't. It, it, it is not. Thank God everybody walked away okay from that one, because that was a... That was a pounding. Um, Jesus. Like, that was a pounding, like... Oh, dear. That was a... That, <laughs> that was a thing. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> Let's not continue that sentence. No. Might reference Charles Leclerc. <laughs> The alternate intro for this episode was going to be guaranteed to have a less controversial intro than last week. <laughs> Welcome back to M101, and, well, I was upstaged. That wasn't an intro, that was outro. That too! <laughs> it... Should we talk about a, bit, a bit about Formula 1 here? Yes, yes. other silly things. Um, silly seasons. Silly season continued, and we had one kind of expected move that we, we better get out of the way from now. It was said during the Thursday press conference where Kibitza was in the house for that one, and Robert openly said for the first time that he will not be continuing um, with Williams at the end of the season. I'm, I'm hearing, I don't know if this has been confirmed, I'm hearing rumours he's going to be Hass's sim driver next season. Yeah, he's in talks with a lot of teams and taking on a sim role. Uh, there's no confirmation which team is going to decide to be sim driver for, but he won't be a race driver next season. Yeah. Unless he goes to another series, which one of the things that was immediately coming up was the rumour that he might join the... The soon-to-be artist formerly known as the Deutsche Tourenwagen Masters with Audi. Ooh. Hmm. Spicy. Um, but, look, it, it's hard not to talk about Robert this year when it comes to talking about his season. And, well, it, it he's got the only point the team's had this year, but he's also been thoroughly whooped by George Russell. And, uh... 
Don't get me wrong. Well, there's not as he didn't get fired. He left. Like he had a multi-year contract. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not denying this. Like I find it amazing he walked away. Like I'm genuinely like surprised that he walked away from this gig. Um, did, did he really go into 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 detail as to why that was? Because. I think I know why, and it's because uh, after working for eight years of grueling rehabilitation in the racing wilderness to get back into Formula One, he did kind of realize that it was great that he's back. He came all the way back to this point, but now that he has come back and proven that he can race in Formula One, now he wants to get back into being competitive. And the reality is that it wasn't going to happen with Williams, at least not in the short term. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, does anybody really want to be fighting for 16th place every week? It's, no. you know, it's... it's, And that's being generous. Yeah, that that must be pretty demoralizing for any F1 driver, let alone Robert, who's had to work so, so hard to even get back to this level. Um, yeah, I, 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 if you're a racing driver, I, I can completely understand the sentiment, and you know what? I just maybe want to go somewhere where I can try and win again. And you know, hopefully that ends up being the case. From I hope, I hope Robert finds peace when whatever he decides to do next, because you know you, you you could see the pain when he was talking about it in the press conference. You could see that you know I don't think he really wanted to do this in that sense, but I could also totally see the greater picture as to you know why he probably felt like he had to do that. You know, and I really hope that people will look back on this comeback not for the fact that oh he was the slowest driver in the slowest car for pretty much every race weekend no what you should take away from that is that he came back from life-threatening injuries to prove a point and he was able to make a comeback yes it would have been awesome we'll never know what would have been had he not lost seven or eight years of his racing prime in that rallying accident in 2011 uh, but it is great that we got to see him come back. And after this, I hope he can find something where he can be competitive once again. Because he is, because on his day, he was as good as any of the champions we have now. And I feel like in a more competitive ride, he could still be a very competitive race winning driver. I certainly hope so. I hope, I hope his F1 time wasn't a bad reflection of his, of his current level of skill. I hope he, he's a better fit in a different series because that, that, that can be the case for many a driver where, you know, maybe F1's just not for them but they shine elsewhere and there's there should be less shame brought to that in general because we all know how F1, Absolutely. You know, how, how F1 is perceived by many as the be-all and end-all when it really isn't the case. I mean, we were talking about a sport mm-hmm. that has 20 full-timers in the world that pretty much any given point maybe a couple more maybe a couple less on occasion but uh you know i'm not saying like vicar suggested he could be an alex rossi somewhere else but he can certainly hold, hold i certainly think he would still be more than good enough to hold his own in another series that you know if he gets the right opportunity which i'm sure he will i mean kibitza obviously as mentioned brings good funding he, he he's worked so hard to get to this point and I'm sure, you know, for, in a positive way, he'll bring headlines to a team wherever he goes. And that will, that will only certainly help in the long run. So I hope he can find a benefit for him in the coming, you know, weeks and months. We wish Robert the very best. Um, he's a good dude. And, you know, he's an inspirational story. Um, 
to even get to this point. And, you know, just look at it like another closed chapter more than uh, the end of the story, I hope. There was one not-so-expected move. Um, Has confirmed their driver lineup for 2020. They have retained both their drivers. Romain Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen will be back next year. We already knew about about Kevin. Um, he, had a, he already had a multi-year deal in place. Um, but uh, Haas have decided to keep Grosjean over Nico Hulkenberg, who is you know, the current number one free agent on the board um, at the moment. And uh, yeah, this one raised quite a few eyebrows because... Uh, by all accounts, it looks like this could be the end of the road in F1 for Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, like. This this a year after being definitively the best of the rest and the F1.5 champion, mm. as we refer to it. And someone who, regardless of you know the situation last year, he destroyed Carlos Sainz. And Carlos Sainz is really good, as yeah. this year is proving. We forget that. He made Carlos Sainz look like, look like an amateur. And Carlos Sainz is no slouch. He is not. No. Like, it's hard with Hulkenberg. It's, it, it, and the reason I say it's hard is because a lot of people... Like, Hulkenberg, I've said it before, he is the... Ba- I call it, I've nicknamed him Baseline for a little while because he is right on the line of what people will define as either an overrated or an underrated driver. People who are on the positive side think he should be driving a Ferrari. People on the more cynical side will say he's been taking up somebody else's seat for half a decade. There's no real middle ground on Hulkenberg, and it's 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 a weird one. It's, he's always been very polarizing in terms of how good people think he is or isn't. Um, and as Cam alluded to, he was the number one midfielder in the in the sport last year. That was less than twelve months ago, and. If you're Hulkenberg, having seen that Daniel Ricciardo was brought in on a twenty million pound a year contract, and then if you're Hulk, why the hell wouldn't you ask for a raise first and foremost? And not only that, he's only a couple of points behind. He's generally been matching or beating Ricciardo all year. He's not a million miles away. Let's put it that way. And as I said at the start of the year, Hulkenberg would give Ricciardo something to think about, and he has this year. Um, don't get me wrong, Renault have bigger problems than their, than, their, than their talent this year. But by any measure, I think Hulkenberg is still more than good enough for a spot in F1. I, I don't think there's 20 drivers on the planet for, for F1 that's eligible right now that would, that would that would push him out of the grid. Not by a long shot. Um, but the conclusion that we're seeing here clearly is that he's not got a lot of options, if any at all, left. Haas was really the one that screamed, if he's going to go anywhere, it's Haas. But All he really has left is if Alpha don't retain Giovinazzi, and that's looking extremely unlikely that they're going to yeah, drop him. I mean, he's, especially well, I don't when know. That's they not their still call. haven't signed him for... Yeah, they still haven't signed yeah, him Yeah, but year. at the same time... At the same time, Gio is making the case now at this stage in the season to be retained. He is. Scoring points every couple of races. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to be as good as Kimi Raikkonen off the bat. I mean, that was always going to be an unrealistic hope. But he's held his own in that in that Alfa Romeo seat. He's done all right this season by all accounts. He's, he's hardly been terrible. Made a couple of mistakes here and there, but you expect that from a guy doing his first full season. And... 
Yeah, there's there's more to come from Geo, and you know he, he could still get the the what I call the Ian Oni treatment of having an extension dangled in front of you and then having it yanked out from underneath you by the end. Oh no! Because we all remember how that story went with with him at Ducati yeah. at the time. Um, mm. Because I remember Geo's dad said at Silverstone that they were drawing up an extension for him, and then it was coming in the coming weeks. So by all accounts, it seems like Sauber wants to keep him. But you know, it's also really not their call. Alpha Romeo. Yeah, Alpha. I should say yeah. yeah. It's it's Ferrari's call, and they have options beside Nico Hulkenberg because they can always you know get Marcus Ericsson or someone else. Yeah, and that would leave the only other option, the one lone remaining seat that, as we just discussed, is now vacant at Williams Racing, which on paper a lineup of George Russell and Robert Coop and uh, excuse me, George Russell and Nico Hulkenberg would be awesome. But driving around a sled. Would Hulkenberg we would does Hulkenberg want to come back to Williams? I don't think he does. It would be great career symmetry because the bottom line is he turns thirty-three net season and he has not been in a position to have a podium finish in quite a quite a long time, uh, because again, he is the man who holds the record for the most the most starts without a podium finish. Though some he had some very very close calls with some teams that had no business being up at the front to begin with. Mm. Everybody still remembers Brazil 2012, a race he led comfortably for most of the distance until he clattered into the side of Lewis Hamilton's car. Yes, that that did happen. I feel like Hulkenberg isn't a driver who's going to want to be riding around at the back in a terrible car. The only trouble is, where else was he go? The first option that came up was IndyCar. He said, no, I don't want to do ovals. Well, that would leave a return to WEC. Well, uh, there are no more factory seats left. Uh, uh, WEC is in a, uh, well, that will be discussed at some point. Formula E has very few competitive seats left, and Nico Hulkenberg... Um, has been on the record saying that he those cars are beneath him. Yikes. Nico Hulkenberg to IMSA, I guess. Or it's not looking good. Or is he is he taking a gamble in case Dr. Marco changes his mind on any of the Academy drivers at Red Bull? I it, have my doubts about that. It has been known. Shut that down. <laughs> then again, like it's Dr. Marco. Can you ever be sure about this, RJ? That's a fair point. The man changes um, his mind more than I change my underwear. <laughs> Nico Hulkenberg to the New England Patriots. <laughs> sure. Can't be any, can't be hey, any. our receiver core needs, needs new blood now. Yeah, it just needs it needs another lunch pail type receiver like Julian Edelman. You know, I heard Nico Hulkenberg is pretty tall himself. Good round Nico Hulkenberg, Super Bowl MVP. Good, good route Cyril, runner. can you see me now? Uh, that's a good, good route runner. Can, can change direction quickly. Deceptive speed. He's sneaky fast. So, how good is how good is Hulkenberg at throwing a football? Um, tight. Oh, we don't need to worry about that, in New England. Tight, tight. <laughs> whoa, whoa! I'm not talking about New England. I have my own knees. <laughs> Out indefinitely. <laughs> Hulkenberg throws, he, he throws a tight spiral, and he always ends up being about two yards short of his expected target. Still an improvement over the Jets currently. Yeah. Uh, anyone for Bono? Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what Hulkenberg does at this point, because even if he did get that high seat, there's no guarantee that they're going to fix all their issues with the car overnight. 
And that's the main Speak. reason why they made the decision, the unpopular decision in many eyes, especially given how the Singapore Grand Prix played out, to retain Romain Grosjean because Grosjean was the guy who helped figure out all the problems with their development tree in the first place. To the extent that now Haas is reverting both cars until further notice to their Melbourne spec aero. Look. Dumpster fire. If there's one comment I made on Thursday, it like I would say this comfortably. I'm glad that that Gunther and, and Gene have looked at the situation and realized the drivers are not the issue here. Because we've seen drivers be the scapegoats for situations like this many a time in the past. Um, Hi, AJ Foyt. Yeah. Hi, Aprilia. Yeah, no kidding. The list goes on and on. I'm glad that Haas looked at the situation and realized, well, no. Magnussen's actually driven pretty well this year, all told. And Grosjean, as said, Grosjean helped has helped massively with the development of the car this year, or, well, technically speaking, the undevelopment of the car, really, I guess is the more accurate term. Um, so, looking at the situation, well, I, I, Grosjean's running out of lives rapidly, but he has had a significant role in the team this year. Magnussen has been the better driver, and he's been a little bit less goofy on track as well, but... Uh, it's still a good team. A little less. You know, it's, it's still a good team on paper. And, you know, I think Hulkenberg would have been an improvement. I'm not denying that. But, you know, I've said it before. It's been an it's been an overhyped city season this year for me. Mostly because you could make a valid case to keep in all 20 drivers on the grid exactly where they were. <laughs> good. And sometimes that's okay. Next year's city season. Um, have fun with that, given that all of the big players are all going to be out of contract. That's going to be fun. Um, yeah. But uh, as this city season draws to a close, Haas keep their drivers. What the hell do you do with Nico Hulkenberg now? Good luck figuring that one out. RJ, as I alluded to last week, we had a mailbag question we didn't have quite enough time for last week. Yes, um, this is our residual mailbag question. It comes to us from Thomas Webb at, at not that Tom Webb. F1 is the best advertising billboard, and maybe why Williams are trying to hang on. However, as they're making losses, should they be looking elsewhere? Put their knowledge, technology, and history in other series across the world. Now, I had to think about this after I saw a headline come across my screen. What happened to all the single-seater car builders? Well, if you look at the landscape in Formula 2, Formula 3, Formula 4, IndyCar, and soon-to-be NASCAR, you realize Delara just built them better than everybody else, and the free market decided, just let Delara build it all. But, if there were a time where Williams decided, right, we can no longer compete in F1, but we don't want to stop doing motorsport... There is a future for them as a racing car constructor for, for customer racing series, be that in prototypes, be that in single-seaters as competition for Delara. I think, to me, that stands out as the most obvious fit, besides, you know, parading around their Heritage F1 cars that actually did win them races and championships because those were awesome and groundbreaking vehicles. Mm. Yeah, 20 years ago, they actually won Le Mans building a car for BMW. That could be a viable option for them. But, I mean, they've 
tried to do that in some sort of way. Like, the the batteries for the Gen 1 Formula E card, they built those, but when time for Gen 2 came around, they lost the contract for the Gen 2 battery to McLaren. That's true. Huh. It's like an allegory for Adrian Newey. Oh, God. <laughs> Is Red Bull going to be building FE batteries next? Funny thing, that. But yeah, I would I would love to see, like, if it ever came to the point that Williams could no longer race in F1, that they could partner, um, get into some prototype racing, get into some single-seaters, maybe make some competition for Delara in, like, you know, spec series that we have around the world. Um, it's a thought. Again, Williams are going to be stubborn, and they're going to stick with this Formula One thing as long as they possibly can. Hashtag customer pride. The, the pride of all customers everywhere. I hope so. That would be nice to see. But, um, yeah, we will see how that goes. Let's chop a couple of the wheels off for a second here and talk about the biking scene for a little bit here. And uh, Bye, guys. <laughs> get your the ass sky, back here. The sky, the map, everything fell at KTM. Yeah, this came through on uh, Wednesday. King, get your ass back here. Um, well, where do you think you're going? <laughs> King, close the door. Close the door, come back down, <laughs> sit down, we'll talk through this. No, no, I'm going to bury him from a great height. Um, no, this all landed um, in, I think it was the Tuesday and the Wednesday, or the Wednesday leading up to Aragon this past weekend. We kind of teased about, about this in part one. Uh, but uh, one guy we didn't mention in that race report was Johan Zarco. Well, turns out... He K- gone! Turns out KTM said, Hey, you're basically suspended without pay for the rest of the season. Go take a hike, basically. Oh, God. They basically... So KTM said, you know what? We're going to part ways with, uh, with Johan Zarco right now. And he's not going to ride the bike for the rest of the season. Um... They brought in Mika Kallio. Mika Kallio will run the bike instead for the end of 2019. Um, he's their test and development rider and has been since the very start of the KTM factory effort in MotoGP. And a pretty darn solid all-round rider still who's capable of top 10 finishes. But, yeah, you know, they basically came out and said that they feel like development of the bike for 2020 is basically started now. And, well... If you're gonna do that, there's no point really in uh in in keeping uh, Zarco on the roster because one he could leak de- he could, he could leak information about the bike to competitors if he ends up getting another seat elsewhere if he ends up being a test rider somewhere for next season that could also be significant and well he's not riding the bike next year you might as well get someone on it who could be or or at least again Calio who is paid to be their development rider at this point you know so. Yeah. It just makes more sense for them to sacrifice Sarko for the year and basically start focusing on on twenty twenty already. And uh, King, I mean, it's, let, let's let's talk about this. Um, what's up with your man's? Um, uh, it's all over. It's all over. Speaking of uh, things being over, twenty nineteen may be over for Paul Espargaro. He had a massive high side in FP four um, on Saturday afternoon. He broke his wrist. Um, yeah, radial fissure in his in his wrist, which yeah. is probably going to require surgery. Yeah, it, they're, they're, KTM are weighing up the options right now, but 
it's looking like it's looking like Paul's going to miss maybe the rest of the season. Certainly the first couple of flyaways at at best by the looks of it, and uh, he he could be done for the year, um, which would be a awful awful shame given how brilliantly Paul Spagaro has. Um, He's been dragging that bike, kicking and screaming to results it does not deserve. Yeah. He's been doing that all year long, regularly in the top 10, sometimes as much as as little as six seconds off the victory. That's how hard he's had to work to get that KTM anywhere near competitive. And now he's out for the rest of the season, or could be out for the rest of the season. Not confirmed, but they're probably going to have to have surgery on that wrist. And if he does, his season's effectively done. Um... You know those sorts of joints you do not want to injure. Ask Cal Crutchlow when he did his, and he basically shattered his ankle at Phillip Island last year. He wasn't 100% again until the preseason test in February. Um, like he was nowhere near 100% for months. Um, wrist injuries are about as bad as you can get for a rider, realistically. Like broken legs can can heal in a month. You know, happened with Valentino Rossi last year. Uh, that we saw when he had this training accident at the ranch. But, uh, yeah, Paul not in good shape. And now KTM is going to have to find another replacement rider. <laughs> um, you know, they did have some French kid. Hmm. Hmm. They did have a French kid. Um, has anyone got Johan Zarco's number? Um, is he still on the phone book? Like, would that help? No, no, I just tried. It looks like he changed the number. Ah, change the locks as well. I see. Yeah. Um, has anyone got Bradley Smith's number? Anyone? It's looking like the only. Uh, it's looking like the only option here because uh, Miguel Oliveira looks like he might. Would they call Miguel Oliveira up from Tech Three and put someone else in the Tech Three ride? Would they? Could we? Could we zip tie the two bikes together and Mika Calio just ride it as a car? <laughs> for fuck's sake! <laughs> then you'd have the correct number of engine bolts for one bike. No, no, no! That's just a ta- that's just a KTM crossbow king. It's <laughs> the ascended GT4 car. Oh god, it's come to this. Um, it's all and it's on fire. Yeah, it's all gone tits up for KTM. Uh, I, I, I can quickly explain the, the the missing bolt story as well, real quick. Oh my goodness! So KTM, who run a steel trellis frame which is kind of an old-school way to build a bike, albeit one they use in their production bikes, and they are standing by their production methods. They're dying on this yeah. hill. Yeah, because most of the other MotoGP teams run aluminum frame yeah, They run aluminum twin spar frames, like most modern leader bikes. Indeed. Well, KTM, through some experimentation, realized that their bike, the chassis wasn't flexing enough. Hmm. So to increase chassis flex, they've actually just yanked some engine mounting point bolts. Weird flex, but okay. Literally weird flex, but okay. What the hell is going on in that factory? <laughs> All the money, it just goes in and it burns. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that scene from the Fairly Your Parents and the two sailors are shoveling money into a furnace. It's great. Uh, <laughs> King, get over there and get your mans. All of them. Uh, Every last one. Can we sacrifice your wrist to bring Paul back quicker? <laughs> How do you donate a wrist? <laughs> yeah. Wolf, How does that just, work? Just, just, just chop off his, his entire forearm. That'll do it. It's bound to be in there somewhere. We have the science. We can yes. rebuild him. 
better, stronger, <laughs> faster. We're gonna give it. Can we though? We, we, we're gonna give him a robot hand. There we go. That, Maybe so, you could take the bolts out of the frame and put them in his wrist to reinforce it. It's lit. <laughs> right. Going across the pond to World Superbikes briefly as well. You know how Alvaro yeah! Bautista. You know how Alvaro Bautista denied he was going to Honda earlier this year? Yes, I too remember that. Turns out he was lying. He was barefaced lying. He's confirmed he's joining Honda's World Superbike program for next year on rumored God to be him. a brand new Fireblade. And by brand new, hopefully it means that it's more than just some styling changes, new suspension. And a new coat of paint like it's been every year since 2008. Like, Cam is not salty about the Fireblade not getting updates at all. Okay, it's an Honda HRC has... factory team, though. It is this year. Yeah, and they've not really been all that much better. I mean, I explained this a couple of days ago in the Discord. Honda has the most fuck you of fuck you money out of any manufacturer in racing. They do. Look at all of the forms of racing they are basically have they basically have a blank check to go racing in all of them. There is no re- there's no realistic reason why they're so fucking bad in World Superbike. Especially when that same bike can do awesome things in the Endurance World Championship. Indeed. Yeah. They were spectacular at the Suzuka 8 hours. Yeah, especially given that uh, the man we all we all raved over in that race, uh, Tibi Takahashi, is going to be joining Bautista next season in that factory. Bautista and Takahashi, that is a ridiculously good lineup. That's a so you good better lineup. have hoped that you've got them the bike that they need to compete for victories and podiums on the regular, because if you don't, well... You're just throwing all that money into the furnace. If that yeah, it's gonna bounce. If that bike is halfway decent, then that's the best ride lineup in the sport, regardless of who joins Jonathan Ray at Kawasaki. Like that yeah. is a formidable between the two bikes, lineup. that is yeah. that is the best lineup, and it's not close. It's a formidable lineup potentially if they can get it, if he can get their shit together. Um, but again, the big question will be what is going to be going on under the hood with that Fireblade in 2020. Um, and like as RJ says, HRC are back in this, and HRC don't like to lose um, by any stretch. And they Honda's will... general approach when they when they lose for a long time is okay. How much will it take? How much do we need to spend to win? Double it. <laughs> we're we're going to try and win this damn thing by hook or by crook, basically. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, Bautista to Honda, you know, still waiting on the second Kawasaki to be confirmed. Uh, still uh, waiting on a couple of other top tier seeds. We all know top racks all but confirmed at Yamaha, just not officially in writing yet. Um, but yeah, keep half an eye on that going forward as well. To IndyCar, and uh, we got another piece of their city season jigsaw out of the way before the racing took place this weekend. As uh, it turns out, we have an absorption in our mist. In the style of Majin Buu, Harden Steinbrenner retains Colton Herta, um, but they are aligning themselves with Andretti Autosport. So Andretti Autosport will have... Mm, it's not really an alliance. Oh. Like, oh. Because they are the fifth Andretti entry. Uh, they just co-own the entry with Andretti. Think of it like uh, how Marco's entry works. Except with a far more yeah. talented driver. <laughs> right. So, yeah. They say they're going to be the new fifth entry. Cool. 
Um, does that have an effect on any of their drivers' futures then? No, because Zach Veach, no. Rossi, Hunter Ray, and Marco Andretti are all confirmed full-time for 2020. The other full-time confirmation was Takuma Sato is going to be staying at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing as expected. Carlin will have two cars, though we don't know who's driving them. But yeah, Colton Herta in the fifth Andretti car. <laughs> and as it turns out, he put, he put all of that confidence with his deal to good use. More on that later. Oh god! If anything, it's like we have to add now. We have we now have to add a second verse to Chris Cook's song about certain alliances. Colton Herta Autosport with Irving Motorsport with Steinbrenner Motorsport with Andretti Autosport. I owe Chris Cook twenty dollars for singing that. You're welcome. <laughs> why is why so, yes. is RJ taking money out of the M101 kitty for this? <laughs> so yes, the official team name for the 88 entry is the Andretti Harding Steinbrenner Autosport. Oh for Christ's <laughs> sake! We need more names. We couldn't have found the way to narrow this down. No, we couldn't acronym this shit somewhere. No. Yeah, just get just get rid of Harding. It's not like Mike Harding's doing anything, anyways. I wonder. Uh, I was just about to ask how Patricio Ward's feeling about all this. Um, good luck in Formula Two next year, I guess. Please don't oh. chew him up and spin him out, Doctor Marco. You cold, gutless bastard. <laughs> uh, You're asking the wrong man the wrong question. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you on that one. Oh dear. Still. You know, that's a great pull for Andretti to get Colton Herter, who's probably the best young talented driver in the field right now. Um, he's had a scintillating first first season in the car, and we'll, again, we'll talk more about that very shortly. Um, to Formula E King. Oh yes, yes. Formula E silly season is upon us at all levels of the sport. Uh, let's see. Um, Where do we want to start? Because there's like, three <laughs> items here. I think we should start with the drivers, where uh, Dragon have announced that uh, that they're going to have Audi DTM driver Nico Muller. That is a great pull. He is second in the championship and had a pretty stellar single-seater seater record uh, prior to joining the Tin Tops with Audi a few years back. That's, that's a yes. good pull. And before he got his extension, it was heavily rumored that Nico Muller was going to replace Daniel Apt at Audi. Ooh. Mm. Uh, so, you know, Nico Muller's still contracted as an Audi factory driver despite being at Dragon Racing. So, I would watch your back if you're driving at Audi. <laughs> Yeah, for reference, in the 2013 Formula Renault 3.5 series, Mueller's last year of single-seaters prior to this, here are the four drivers who finished ahead of him. Kevin Magnussen and Stoffel Van Dorn, number one and number two McLaren prospects, number one Red Bull prospect Antonio Felix da Costa, and Will the Lad Stevens. Guy's good. Guy's real good. Yep, real, real good. good. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> Uh, also in boardroom silly season news. Wait, we got a we got uh, a boardroom city season now. <laughs> yes, formerly you have announced who their new CEO is, Jamie Regal. Who uh, before this position he was executive vice president of football of of business operations at the football Los Angeles Rams. 
And before that position, he was uh, on the board of directors at another Glazer-owned team, Manchester United. Oh, goody. (laughs) So my question is, is this going to lead to Todd Gurley doing demo laps in a formerly (laughs) (laughs) two-seater? I'm surprisingly okay with this. Oof. Uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting times. Uh, like his position at Manchester United was mainly expanding Manchester United's brand in the Asia Pacific region, which I'm he shocked. Was very successful. <laughs> That's all Manchester United want to do these days: be a brand <laughs> rather than be a winning football team. I'm not mad about this at all. I'm not bitter about us losing hey, to West Ham. You're just doing his job. <laughs> <laughs> If you are wondering, um, former Formula E CEO uh, Alejandro Agag will move into the role of chairman as he devotes more time to the pioneering new Extreme E off-road racing series set to launch in 2021, which also has a team. Uh, Velase, the uh, the esports team, is going for real. With John Eric Byrne and Adrian Newey backing them. <laughs> I thought they were just some YouTubers that had cool hoodies and t-shirts. Nope, they're they're an actual racing team now. You know, I like the idea of Extreme E, but I'm waiting for Extreme G. <laughs> oh no, man, they're going to be racing on glaciers. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're telling me you're going to have like all that instant talk in a 4x4 car driving over glaciers. This sounds like a terribly dangerous idea. Hmm. <sighs> Can't wait for the opening round in Greenland in 2021. If we if we still have an ice cap by then, that is. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! Somebody get Greta up there. <laughs> also, uh, didn't Velace announce one of their signings, <laughs> and it was someone I was not expecting? Go on. Oh, who was this? Adrian Newey. Oh yeah, we covered that. It's Vernon oh, yeah, and Newey did. partnering together. I, I thought this was somehow going to segue into Jamie Chadwick, who <laughs> has shown interest. <laughs> has shown interest in driving. Yeah, King certainly showed interest in that. Um... <laughs> and before we go into full-on mutiny, um, we have track news in Formula E. Big track news. Formula E is going to Southeast Asia. The Jakarta yeah! E-Prix! <laughs> yes, the Jakarta E-Prix after um, weird negotiation process. Jakarta's governor is very just over the top, but they got the deal done and the race into Jakarta near the end of next season. Wait, on yeah, June think- 6th of 2020, it puts it in as the 10th round of the season. Hmm. So towards the end, then, if not the season finale, it is not. It is. It is. I think well, one or two from the end, uh, depending on. Uh, it might be three or four races to the end, depending on where they move Berlin to. Yeah, I hear that. Okay, interesting stuff indeed. Jakarta sounds like it's good. it could be very very fun. Um, quick bit of Formula Two news as well, because this all dropped today um, as well. Which you know, hey, we didn't miss a major story for once. Well, I say that now, but uh, there's, there's still time. There's still time for us to miss something big. But uh, the most, the world's most entertaining man, the most electric man in Formula Two entertainment, is back this weekend with Arden. Welcome back, our friend and yours, Artem Markalov. 
He's back. Resident <laughs> Fun Haver. <laughs> Resident Fun Haver doing it for Antoine. He's going to be driving the number 22 BWT Arden entry because Antoine Hubert's number 19 has been retired for the rest of the season. Um, he will be the third Russian on the grid alongside uh, Nikita Mazepin and Matevo Sazakian, the former yes. SMP Racing uh, WC driver who is replacing Juan Manuel Correa um, at the Sauber Junior team. Um, Russia has arrived. <laughs> We also had Formula 3 news with David Schumacher making his Formula 3 debut with Campos in place of an injured Alex Peroni, which means we have Michael and Ralph's sons in the Formula 1 ladder once again. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love all of that. <laughs> I feel old. I feel really, really old. We were talking about the second generations of both Schumacher brothers. God! My <laughs> joints... <laughs> I have arthritis in my knee now. That is very, very good. Um, we also had some uh, good news to report on the Juan Manuel Correa front. Um, he has been removed from the ACMO machine. He's taken out of his induced coma. Uh, it's obviously a great step in the right direction, but he is facing more surgery on his legs, and it's said by his family that he is still in a race against time uh, regarding his injuries to his lower extremities. Yeah, hopefully they can get him on the operating table in time so they can save his legs. I know that that is going to be the big hurdle now going forward, but that is, without doubt, positive news. We're still keeping our fingers crossed for JM back here, so uh, best of wishes going forward, of course. Before we get into the main event of the evening, uh, let's talk a little bit of the road to Indy, RJ. Yeah, we, we need to do our catch-up. Um, we unfortunately do not have our, our man who is typically on, on the scene in the road to Indy, Christopher Hardy. Um, stuck in an uh, airport somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's stuck in an airport somewhere thinking about um, thinking about Toby Sowery cosplaying as Colton Herta. But that's an oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, just, so, just 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 sign here, here, and here. Um, so we'll start. It's so we'll start. not ninety-eight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, this year was in Indy Lights was expected to be the battle of uh, first-year drivers Oliver Askew and Renus VK. Renus put up a good fight. He won three of the last four races, but it just wasn't enough to overcome Oliver Askew, who effectively just had to start the two races. And he becomes your 2019 Indy Lights champion, which guarantees him, at minimum, three races in 2020. Including the Indy 500, right? Yes, indeed. And this puts him back to where his career in America first started, because uh, it was his first drive was at Laguna Seca a few years back, and now he's won the championship in Indy Lights at Laguna Seca. Um, it's going to be interesting, because as we've discussed, Andretti Autosport, or... Mm, shall we say not hurting for vape for uh for occupied cars <laughs> but but he has money through winning the championship and a million bucks and ready 
and you know Andretti can still support a six entry entry through their you know technical support program, which is no longer occupied since they literally taking control over the entry they used to be in a technical partnership with. Yeah, it helps. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, expect Oliver to be. I would expect him to be in a sit Andretti car for at least St. Pete and the so, month of May. So you're telling me Andretti is going to have potentially a quarter of the full-timers at certain events next season? Mm-hmm. Yes. Up to a quarter. Good God! Yeah. And, like, if you pull in uh, Ganassi and Penske, literally the big three teams will field almost a half the field. That's... That's stunning. Can we can we clone Sebastian Bourdais yet? <laughs> Better yet, can, can we clone like circa 2004 Sebastian Bourdais? Mm. <laughs> yes, please. Can we clone 2016 um, Pagano? No. Um. <laughs> we talked about uh, yeah, Renus VK. Of course, it's not all bad news because he did test for Ed Carpenter Racing, which seems to have him on the fast track to being involved with the team as the road course part of the Ed Carpenter and road course ringer Voltron. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which, yeah. Anticipate that. Uh, the artist formerly known as Pro Mazda, the Indy Pro 2000 championship. And when Kyle Kirkwood was promoted from USF 2000 to this championship, we were all thinking this dude's going to run away with the title. It didn't start off so hot first. After the round at Lucas Oil Raceway, he had only had two podium finishes and then what did Kyle Kirkwood do? Win nine of the next ten races. Ladies and knots down. on the table. Beat him down, ringing high in Indy Pro King. 2000. King Kirkwood has returned. Yes. Swept Road Atlanta. Eighth and first at Toronto, having taken pole in both races. Swept Mid-Ohio. Won the only race at Gateway. Swept Portland. Won Laguna Seca to clinch the title. So that way, all he had to do was effectively start the race. And then he crashed on the first lap. And Rasmus Lind went on to win the race, so effectively hit Kirkwood winning that first race, effectively won in the championship 419 to 417. Yikes, that was close in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was close, but that was still a very impressive run from Kirkwood to come back from, you know, two two poor finishes Absolutely. at St. Pete and Indy to to win the championship as we kind of all predicted, but not in exactly that manner. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. And in the USF 2000 championship, it looked certain that Hunter McElray and Braden Eves would compete for the title. Um, it was match point McElray after the first race, but then McElray broke down in qualifying for the second race and had to start all the way at the back of the grid from 18th place with Braden Eves needing to win the race to secure the championship. Um, Eves did win the race in the championship. McElroy could only come back to seventh and lost the championship by five points in the end. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, that was a that was a very gripping uh, championship finale. So it's Askew, Kirkwood, and Eves, all three Americans, all three winning each step of the Road to Indy in 2019. Also... Watch the Super GT race at Sugo. It was awesome. I it's think soggy. That, yeah, very, very soggy, but still enjoyable. I think that covers everything. I think it does. Yep. Yep. It's time. We'll take a quick musical break after that. 
RJ is going to completely hijack the show. Have fun with that. Everybody run! Chase here, folks. Your new IndyCar season champion, Joseph Newgarden. Ray! Yeah! How did we get to this point? <laughs> Number one, reclaimed. He got back the one. How did we get to this point, I, you ask? Well, it was a interesting race at Laguna Seca in this double point finale. You know, we had uh, we had stuff. We, we immediately like forgot. Oh no, we kind of missed Sonoma, and then realized, oh wait, this is actually a slightly more functional racetrack. It it helps. Um, yeah, know. we were worried about Laguna Seca being viable for these cars. As it turns out, nope, we should have never left to begin with. Nope, indeed, qualifying was fun. Colton Herzer with his, I think his third P1 award this season? His third pole position of the year at the track where his father won twice and might have gotten passed on the final lap and another time in a race that he was dominating much of. It was not talked about throughout most of the broadcast. Absolutely not. <laughs> Never mentioned. Never mentioned it was illegal. Um, this anyway. one was invented by a writer. Yes. Yes, it was. Mar- Marquez did it better. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Colton Hurts are qualified on pole position by just under half a tenth air to Scott Dixon. The fun part here was that we had the four title contenders, two, three, four, and six, with Dixon on, on the front row in second, Rossi and Newgarden sharing row two into turn one, which was bound to be fireworks, and James Hinchcliffe alongside Simon Pagano on row three. Um, so- and this was all despite... All four championship contenders being drawn into the same group of qualifying. Yep, no hiccups. They all made it through in the end, despite the deck being heavily stacked against them. I wonder who did that lottery draw for qualifying. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, RJ, it was an interesting race. I mean, especially given that you look at the numbers and it says here that Colton Herter led 83 out of 90 laps, and yet, yeesh, All the action was going on behind him. And a lot of that action was coming courtesy of another rookie who had to fight his way further back behind the field than he would have liked and let you know about it immediately after his two fastest times in qualifying were deleted and resulted in him starting 13th. That would be Felix Rosenquist clawing his way all the way back into the top five after starting 14th. Yes, because the minimum penalty they could have gave, given out for calling, causing the stoppage is deleting just his fastest lap time. But no, no, no! They decided his two best lap times would be the only thing that would satisfy their need. Quote, maybe somebody doesn't like me up there, or maybe they just want Herta to win the rookie championship. Hi-ya! <laughs> I haven't seen anyone this angry in IndyCar since Rossi at the 500. 
But he was I, pissed. I think it, yeah, I know. I think it felt better when he just was... He was sending out more than priority mail, especially in Joseph Newgarden at the court screw. Newgarden, who was, of course, driving a fairly conservative race, minimizing the risk because he had quite a bit of a points lead to where he could finish sits the better and still wrap up the championship. Which is exactly what he did in the end. Um, he would go on to finish in eighth place, and it was a comfortable eighth place, and didn't need to take any sort of risk and won the championship that way. Um, despite, as mentioned, getting completely dunked on at the, at the corkscrew by Felix himself, um, which again, very fun and uh, very fun to see. It was a, it was a, it was a very fun time indeed. Um, but uh, we we had multiple battles littered up and down the field. We had. Power making a late splurge at the end on Colton Herter, but completely doing over his push to pass in the meantime. Um, and uh, Power was this close to winning three out of the last four races. If you need a reminder about Will Power's class, um, yeah. <laughs> we had Pagano all over the rear of Scott Dixon in in the fight for what would be the last spot on the podium. Pagano obviously desperate to try and take a crack at the win. And I actually did, like, I don't normally like it when IndyCar spins this drum, but there would have been an interesting moral dilemma because if he had gotten past Scott Dixon, next in line was Will Power. And if you're Will Power, do you help him or do you help your other teammate try and win the title? Oh, dear. I mind my own business and whatever happens, happens. I just mind my own business and pray to God I don't take any of my teammates out. <laughs> like, like I did in 2015, but that's... Indeed. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting potential moral dilemma that thankfully they got to avoid. A lot of fun stuff as well, like Pagano trying to go for the up and under of the turn one hairpin and not being able to quite make it happen. It was a great, yeah. it was a great fight between Dixon and Pagano, two of the very yeah. best in the sport, going wheel to wheel, um, and it was fun, very fun yeah. indeed. When Alexander Rossi threw the entire house at Skyman Paginot at the Indianapolis 500, it bounced off Paginot. Paginot had to do the same to Scott Ditson to keep his championship hopes alive. It bounced off the Great Wall of Scott Ditson, yeah. who, by that point in the race, was mathematically eliminated because he can no longer secure enough bonus points to overhaul the other three in front of him. Indeed. The, math, the maths had already checked out. Like I said, the racing gods said... uh no, no, this is not your year, Scotty. Um, I'm sure he'll console himself with a big stack of pancakes. En enormous stack. Apparently, it's more fun when the participant is uh, up the duff, apparently. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I want to talk about Colton Herta. I want to talk about Colton Herta because he didn't get passed on track and led 83 out of 90 laps. He looked like a polished veteran out there. This is only his first season. He's 19 years old. Do you realize that, I know double points certainly helped this, he gained six spots in the points off that one victory alone. It's wild. Absolutely wild. Um, that, you know, that's even a thing. Um, <laughs> I love that his quote after the race when asked, you know, Laguna Seca has parts of the track that are named after racing legends. Um, up to the corkscrew, there is the Ray Hall Strait, named after Bobby. The first corner is the Andretti Hairpin, and they asked him, uh, what, what, do you, what do you think they should name the, uh, what part of the track should they name it after the Herda family? And Colton just goes out of the car and says, I don't know, maybe all of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Flex on him. 
and he's he's thinking about a title run next season. Is what he said was well, and his team's immediately started hollering in the background. I like well, this kid. I don't know if that was even the best quote of the weekend. Um, because before the race, uh, the prospect was asked the inevitable question of whether he'd move over if he if he was asked to to move over for Alexander Rossi. And his response to Racer Magazine's Mark Lendenning, I don't know. I'm sure I'm going to get talked to tonight about something of that nature. I'm hoping I'm not in the position. Honestly, it depends where I'm at in the race, for sure. If I'm leading, it's going to be really hard to say yes and help him out. There's got to be some incentive there, you know what I mean? I mean, I would love that if I let Rossi buy, I would love half the championship money. That would be great. What do you get, a million dollars? That would be awesome. I can move out of my parents' house. <laughs> We stand Colton Herta. I love this. We stand Big Chungus. Big <laughs> Chungus is the man. I love Colton. He is awesome. He is exactly what this sport needs. More of that. Any man that carries a Thanos glove to a race meeting gets my vote. All hail Very Big Chungus. Add Thanos glove to his Indy 500 official photos. We, we stand big chungus was the alternate name for this episode um <laughs> my still perfectly with that. balanced Who knows? as all things should be indeed um <laughs> i loved it i loved it i loved it it was great stuff um shall we run down the finishing orders and get to some of the interesting other little stories we got through this episode uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, Colton Herta winning in the end by just under a second from Will Power in the end in second. Again, he was good, was rearing down at him towards and even tried a, a the, the classic biking dive bomb at the final corner, um, but it was just too far away. Couldn't do it, um, and that was the end of that, um, basically. Um, but yeah, Colton Herta winning uh, ahead of Will Power, Dixon in third, narrowly in front of Simon Pagano in fourth, Felix Rosenquist, still mad on line, started 14th, finished 5th, great drive from him, 60 very big points, which again, we'll get to the final championship standings in just a minute, and uh, we'll break that down, because there were some dramatic changes to the scoreboard, as you can imagine, after a double point finale. Double points uh, in Indy again! <laughs> Yeah, minor spoiler. Congratulations to Felix Rosenquick, your IndyCar Series Rookie of the Year. Actually, no. Get fucked, Santucci! Yeah, yeah, he beat beat Holter by one place. He did, didn't he? Uh, Yeah, awesome. Uh, So, yeah, 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 yeah. Take an enormous L, Ferrucci. Alex Rossi in sixth. He tried... The car just wasn't underneath him this time around. I think he struggled with tires pretty much all the way through um, on, yeah. on that occasion. Tire degradation was going to be the thing to look at. And I was surprised Rossi didn't perform as well in the race because um, they made a point during the broadcast. Of course, he was still upset after how he lost the championship last year. And Laguna Seca is a special track to him personally because... This was the race where he first saw. This was the track where he first saw IndyCar racing. As a matter of fact, indeed, he he wanted it. It just wasn't there for him. Or, and he, although his early fight with Pagano was fun, and I love that Pagano basically ran him onto the onto the gravel. That was quite funny. Um, shout out to him that, as well. Sam? He admitted, you know, the right man won the title. 
he's a humble be- he's he's a he's a good loser rossi i'll give him that much i'll certainly give him that that he's a very very sportsmanlike loser and he conceded that new garden was the better man this year which i think he which i think we, we could all agree that was certainly the case uh, still a phenomenal season from alex rossi by all accounts he pound for pound might be the best guy in the sport right now um he, he can win anything anywhere, any track on the calendar, and there's only a handful of guys who can really say that about, I would say. Um, again, we'll get to the full standings in just a minute. Sebastian Bourdais with, I think he had a pinched neck or some kind of, or some sort of back injury, I think he had, Bourdais? Yeah, this snuck up on us. Sebastian Bourdais moved up from 19th to finish 7th. That's wild. No one talked about this. <laughs> like... Bordet had a phenomenal drive to get seven. An injured Bordet went from 19th to 7th. What a boy. Uh, phenomenal drive from him. Joseph Newgarden, as mentioned, a very quiet 8th in the end. He didn't have to take any risks, and it paid off beautifully. Um, yep, he was 8th in the end, and your new series champion. More on him in a bit. James Hinchcliffe dropped to 9th. He actually pinched his neck. Um, injured himself during the race, of all things, and uh, yeah, had to had to settle for ninth in the end after a really solid qualifying session. Hunter Ray in tenth, Marcus Eriksson eleventh, Graham Rahal twelfth, Max Chilton for Carlin in thirteenth, Marco Andretti fourteenth. Why did you go spin out Connor Daly, Marco? What were you doing? Yeah, <laughs> our only <laughs> caution of the day. The only caution came as a result of Daly. I believe I believe he was a lap up on Marco at that point. Yes. What the hell was Marco doing? I don't know. I have no idea what Marco's doing. But yeah, Connor Daly mounted the sausage. Curbs. <laughs> mounted the co- sausage curbs and got stuck for a while and finished a lap down. <laughs> Phrasing. Um, phrasing. Um, I might, we might have to start nicknaming Marco Andretti last name just for the culture. Um, Charlie Kimball, 15th, back to slightly below average Kimball. Tony Kanaan in 16th, Matt Leist in 17th, Zach Veach in 18th, Harvey 19th, Spencer Piggott 20th, a lap down, as was Takuma, not now Sato, who sadly was taken out of the equation by one Santino Ferrucci. Um, Daly, as mentioned, was spun out by Marco and parked it on the curb. His race was done. Ed Jones, who took damage, he took, had a mechanical failure as well. And Santino Ferrucci, stone dead last in 24th place. He was only one of only two DNFs on the day. He got his braking completely wrong on the only restart of the day and plowed into the side of Takuma Sato's car, ending his race. Our heart bleeds for him. Right. And nothing of value was lost. Agreed. So, I love Tony DeZino's quip about this being the most impressive lockup and unavoidable contact into turn one that we've ever seen. <laughs> As Santino Ferrucci uses Takuma Sato's car like it's his girlfriend. Oh, oh my god! Eddie Irvine would be Ooh. proud. Oh lord. Oh lord. Um... He didn't even. He didn't have to worry about finishing second in Rookie of the Year. <laughs> he even he dropped to third. Lovely.
Okay. <laughs> the final IndyCar Championship standings for 2019. I will only get to the full-timers, so bear with me on this one. I believe we had 20 in total, maybe, if you want to count Max Chilton, yeah, if he, even, even can... he didn't race ovals. I'll go down to Chilton in 22nd place. So, from the top, Joseph Newgarden, your series champion. He ended up with a 25-point uh, margin of victory in the end. 641 points, and top 10 finishes in all but three races uh it's uh indianapolis in detroit race two and at mid ohio every other race in the top 10 including four victories and more laps led than anyone else in the field by a comfortable margin um a brilliant season from joseph and just a model of consistency throughout the year brilliant stuff from him all told Alex Rossi, sorry, in third, sorry, I got the wrong name there, looked at the wrong column for a second there. Simon Pagano, how dare I? What a year it's been for Simon Pagano. I mean, he'll be, of course, he'll be disappointed he didn't win the overall championship, but I think it's fair to say a pretty good year anyway. Uh, we, we brought home the Bork Warner. Yeah, and considering coming into the year, we were worried that, like, Pagano was not going to get along with this Universal Aero Kit. And early in the season, before the month of May kicked off, we were thinking, is Pagenaud even going to see out the season with Roger Penske going into 2020? Then he swung a sledgehammer on everyone in May. Indeed. Um, a brilliant year. Completely clean swept the month of May. En route to a runner-up berth, free race wins, and his seat being confirmed for at least another year. So well done, Simon Pagenaud, for a tremendous season. And like I said, given how we perceive the series in the, in the United States... You could argue he was the real winner here. Borg winner, baby. 616 points for him in second. 608 in third for Alex Rossi. Still had two wins in Road America and at Long Beach, which is really becoming his second home at this point. Um, another excellent season from Rossi. You know, moderated the aggression just enough. Uh, to be able to, uh, you know, to, to channel it, to channel his true ability out there, he's, he's done. He's done tremendous all year long. Unfortunately, and, uh, regarding Rossi, uh, my quote about Penske stands: "You pour in blood, sweat, and tears, then you lose to Penske." Rossi and Pagano were the only two guys finishing every single race in 2019. A little Indeed. bit of an asterisk uh, on that one with Pocono with Rossi. Just a tad. Just a tad. But, uh, yeah, Rossi in third overall. Again, as I mentioned, one of the few guys that, as far as I'm concerned, can win just about anywhere. And that's easily worth paying attention to going forward. He will be a perennial contender for years to come. Just a shame the wheels kind of fell off his season towards the end with those back-to-back -back poor finishes at Pocono and Gateway. Again, not really his fault um, on that one. But, uh, hey, that's, that's IndyCar for you. Scott Dixon, fourth overall, 578 points. Dixon never goes away. He's just always there. And again, I think the racing gods had to come to an agreement that it was not going to be Scott Dixon's year. Um, and it wasn't, but he was still a threat all the way until the very end. Because Scott Dixon, that's why. Uh. He had 10 podium finishes more than any other driver this season, and he only finished fourth in the championship. That's how much crashing out at Detroit Race 1 of Texas hurt him, as well as the pyrotechnic-induced radiator failure at Gateway. 
still wild. Again, if you don't want to believe in the in the racing gods, that was God's way of saying this is not going to be your year. Uh, basically, Dixon still phenomenal. Dixon will celebrate um, in in variety of ways, and he'll be back next year. Make no mistake about that. Will Power. You know, had a wretched start, but finished strong. He's fifth overall in 550 points. Um, rounding off, really, the Elite Five in IndyCar at this point. They, they were, you know, you, there's 125 points to the next man. So these, this was the clear five best runners in the field this year by a comfortable margin. Um... And like I said, Willpower, if he narrowly found the way to beat Colton Herter, he would have closed out the year winning three of the last four. Maybe just one too many mistakes and one too many incidents of bad luck to uh, to uh, really be a true threat for the season by the end. But this was like a bad year for Willpower, and he was still fifth. This was a bad year for Willpower, where he still won twice, took two pole positions, and extended, uh, got further up the record i think back to austin with his drive shaft let go when he, in a race that he was comfortably set to win oh absolutely just uh just wild stuff really um then we have a bit of a gap to 425 your indycar series rookie of the year felix rosenquist sixth in the championship with 425 points and given that this was a guy that we were, we had genuine concerns about halfway through the season in Detroit, he really got his shit together by the end. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He was as low as 15th after crashing out of the Indianapolis 500. And then he went on a tear, starting with a second, with that second at Mid-Ohio. Then he got another second in Portland. Um, and then he finishes up the year coming from 14th to finish 5th. And going all the way to sits in the championship. Rosenquist is as good as advertised, y'all. And he's going to be a race winner in 2020. Wouldn't surprise me. Five, six times in the top five last year. Says it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very strong for a rookie. And speaking of that, five points below him. Beating the cold. Beating Ryan. He beat Ryan Hunter Ray in the championship in his first year on countback. Due to the fact he had two wins to Hunter Ray's zero. Colton Herter, seventh in the championship with 420 points. Nice. Um, nice. Very nice. <laughs> really is on and let's, and let's not forget, this. he was the first retirement in the Indy 500 and basically scored next to nothing for that race. Where he was down in 16th in the points. He came Man. all the way back from 16th to finish 7th. I know double points had a lot to do with that. But when Colton Herter was on, he was the clear-cut best rookie in the grid. Even more impressive than Rosenquist. But Rosenquist was far more consistent. But Herta's top stuff is elite. He's real. He, he is, is real. The rookie. He is the American rookie you should be talking about all the time. Well, the check yep. didn't clear. <laughs> Indeed, he's absolutely quality. Um, he's going to be a stud going forward. A full um, more Andretti car next year. He's going to do some damage. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, everyone, everyone should be looking out next year because if Colton Herta can prove in his first year he can win multiple races in a season and have the outright speed to win, you know, from you know three poles, two race wins, this kid is an absolute stud. Um, it's, uh, it's absolutely crazy. 
Um, so, you know, it is wild stuff. Um, very, very, very impressive from Colton Herter. Ryan Hunter Ray, as mentioned, on, on he tied on 420. Also nice in very eighth nice. place. Um, you narrowly beat, and you know what? Congratulations to Dakuma Sato getting that extension um, in, uh, in, in ninth place. Again, this man seems to be getting better with age. I think he's what forty two now, Takuma Sato. And he turns and he'll turn forty three next January. By the point he'll already <sighs> have his extension, and I wouldn't be surprised if he puts together another season like this. Um, obviously, having a string of three DNFs and four races from Toronto to Pocono uh, ensure that he would not contend for the title in the end. But for him to string together two race wins again. This was a driver who we were all thinking when he got to Andretti one job ago that you're thinking, well, this is a nice stopgap, I guess. And then he goes on to win the Indianapolis 500, and he's gotten better since joining Ray Hall Letterman. Yeah, we all thought it was going to be rolling over for Graham. He now is basically the bona fide team leader at this point. Um, Cleanly outperformed Ray Hall this year. Look at the points. 415 to 389. Takuba Sato over Graham Rahal. And Graham Rahal was the best Honda in this championship only two years ago. It's kind of wild how things change very quickly. And as Henry points out, Rahal can't qualify. He's the Alex Rins of, of, of IndyCar. He makes life a bit too hard for himself sometimes. Can't, the speed's always been there, but... You can't qualify and you can't log off. <sighs> it's a problem. He only made the fast sits three times all season. Mm. And in a team that's getting wins with your other car, that's that can't stand. It's not good enough. It's not good enough for a guy of his quality, a guy of proven quality, a guy that was a title contender three years ago. He, like, I expect Rahal to be better than this. Um, it's not a terrible year. He finished 10th overall, as mentioned, on 389. But, you know, you're thinking probably a bit better than that for a guy of his production and his reputation. Um, he narrowly beat Sebastian Bourdais to, on, he, on, in 11th on 387 points. Um, uh, the one podium finish in Alabama alongside a bunch of middling results, a lot of 7s, 8s, and 9s throughout the season for Bourdais. Um, maybe not quite as many high-profile drives, but still some spectacular performances and you know comebacks up the field. He did that a lot with Dale Coyne this year. That's what they seem to specialize in, um, and Bordet is the perfect man to do it a lot of the time. Um, as as, uh, as Henry mentions, he did blow that race at Gateway, but not many in, not many pure errors from him um, throughout the course of the season. James Hinchcliffe in 12th on 370 points. Now, Henry alluded to this on our Discord a couple of days ago. It's kind of hard to not to argue that this has been a disappointing year for SPM. Well, again, we always thought there'd be a bit of a come down from Marcus Ericsson to, you know, compared to Robert Wickens, who, you know, set the world on fire last year. But their lead driver was 12th. Mmm... He was 10th for most of the season, but he had he was obviously taken out of Pocono and taken out of Portland. Neither mm. one was his fault. Um, but his best performance was that Indy 500 where he came back from 32nd to finish 11th. He only had one podium finish. It was, it was kind of a come-down year. And again, this was after a season where he, altogether now, 
didn't qualify for the Indianapolis 500. Mm-hmm. SPM, it's it's difficult to get a read on them because they can go anywhere from being a looking like a top team one race to looking like a backmarker the next, to the point where they were even outperformed at a few races by their offshoot team in Meyer Shank Racing, who didn't even run the they full either. season. That is true. That's very true. Jack Harvey had a, had a few uh, landmark performances out there, for, for certainly. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's a bit strong, that. Steve. Steve said, are they the prettier of IndyCar? That's harsh. Um, That's giving way too much credit to Aprilia. Oof. <laughs> They weren't that bad, but as, as Henry mentioned, they were pretty poor in race trim this year. It's, it's, uh... And again, having your lead driver make the Indy 500 by the skin of your teeth is not a good look. A former, no. po- a former pole sitter. Something's not right in that team. Something is not right. And, and well, they better hope the infusion of McLaren Nets here will work here it, because if you combine Toad's two efforts and you can't improve, I, I don't know what's going to help out. Mm. <sighs> so now we get to number 13 in the points. Santucci Farino himself, Santino Ferrucci. He did lead most of Gateway. He did have impressive performances on ovals, including Rookie of the Year at the Indianapolis 500. So you think we're done criticizing the great and powerful Santino <laughs> Ferrucci. No, all this shows is he's just kind of a one-dimensional driver compared to Herta and Rosenquist. Yeah, it's... Herta and Rosenquist, regardless of where the results ended up, were pretty much quick everywhere. Ferrucci was yeah. all over the damn place. Yeah, his best finish on a ro- on a course with uh, with left and right turns. I want to make sure I got this right. Yeah, that's ninth at St. Petersburg. Yeah. Yikes! He he's a one trick pony, and that's not me being harsh. He's he's an excellent oval driver. Fourth in, in Texas, fourth at Pocono, fourth at Gateway. You know. He can certainly he's certainly fearless on ovals, you know. There is something there with Ferrucci. You'd be no matter how you feel about him, there is absolutely a level of talent um, within him that would be impossible to deny. Thirteenth in a vacuum in any other circumstance as an IndyCar rookie is not terrible. Um, unfortunately. There was two rookies that were in the top seven this year. I called it vulgaritis. It was like Jonas Volger had a really good rookie season, apart from the fact that Johan Zarco in the same bike was phenomenal as a rookie, and it kind of made Volger's season look worse than it is. It's kind of the same here with Ferrucci, but... Uh, also, yeah. I will say this, his wreck avoidance will not... His style of wreck avoidance, it's very much like public lobby racing it is not gonna work yeah. all the time yeah he's no- gonna he's gonna tick somebody off yeah he, going yeah. full yeet in an attempt to escape a crash eventually is just gonna cause a bigger crash yeah he's not gonna get away with that every single time um you know he's he's going to have one of those days where it's not gonna get so lucky he's gonna have a hellacious accident i really hope he stops doing that and I hope that the words that New Garden sent him at Gateway stick to stick to his guns. I doubt it, but one can only hope. Spencer Piggott in 14th on 335. 
Is it time to be a bit concerned about Spencer? Uh, I'm getting a little concerned. I think he'll come into 2020 knowing this might be a make-or-break season for him because I we've been expecting that breakthrough for a while, and to be fair, he had some impressive drives, um, but that win still hasn't come yet. A couple of the top fives, you know, sixth you know, in the places. You know, I know Carpenter's never been the best with setting up for road courses and whatnot, we all know they're oval guys, and again, they continue to be phenomenal at the 500. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, if you're going to run dudes like this full time, you need to put an entire season together, and Spencer just hasn't done that yet. Mm-hmm. Like, 14th is not reflective on his talent, but it is going to start being a problem soon. That's not good enough for a guy of his potential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the former Indy Lights champ himself. Tony Kanaan in 15th. What do we even say about Kanaan at this point? He, he's here. It's nice yeah. to see him. Yeah. He, is, he, he is certainly here. He completed the fourth most miles of any other driver with an average finish of 14.9. He's also kind of carrying for Foyt on his back. Yeah. Which is yeah. really not a good reflection on their other driver. Indeed. And it looks like Foyt are already starting to move people on after the end of another disappointing season. So uh, it looks like it looks like more people was like more guys are being turfed out, more parts are being flung, you know, back and forth, you know, to, just to try and make this work. Um, so you know, his race engineer is gone as of today. Christ, bit of a messy one there. Yeah. Speaking of cratering out, because we're getting into it, Marco Andretti's season was defined by just. Handling problems all day that result in him finishing five laps down without running into anything. Oh my god! And when he you consider what there. every when you consider what everyone else is doing in Andretti equipment, you know the best Honda team. It's a horrendous look. He's thirty three in March. If it wasn't for his surname, he would have been gone five years ago. And every night, I mean, he had. An incredible couple of laps in, uh, what was it, Belle Isle? Yeah, he when went from 19th to sits to finish the second half of Belle Isle. That he was has his one other or two. He has one or two races a year where you think, oh, maybe things are on the up. And then he's has an indefensibly poor performance. Mm-hmm. Like I it's said, It's just not good enough. If it wasn't for his surname, he'd have been gone in 2012. He's yep. not been good enough for quite some time, and this might be the, the the like the standout. This really isn't good, you know. Like yeah, he's he's sixteenth in the championship, sixteenth out of all the full timers. That's the bottom quarter. Because I I what? score I score it as roughly, well, nineteen dudes raced every round apart from Marcus, who had to be flown had to be flown out to cover for Alfa Romeo at the end of the season. So I make it 19 guys who ran every single race this year, and Marco Andretti was fourth from bottom. While his teammate Alexander Rossi finished third in the championship and was... And outpointed him two to one. Yeah. For context here, and not to pile on the... And not to pile on Marco Andretti, but he finished in the exact same position in the points as he did in 2016... A year where Marco Andretti's season was defined by a Paul Tracy quote, where the only ride it looks like he's going to get is with Uber. Yeah. 
You know what? The man blocked me for me calling him out for saying that trashing an F1 for no good was pointless. I have no problem dogging on Marco Andretti relentlessly. Um, so He's using yeah. up a seat. Yeah. And to be fair, I think the guy two spots below him could be as well, but I'll get to that in a minute. Marcus Eriksson, 17th on 290. You know that narrative about how F1 drivers can just go into any other series and kick everyone's ass? That's nope. dead. That's gone. Yeah. To be fair, it's- to be fair to Marcus, it looked like he was having a lot more fun there and was really upset that he had to get pulled over to Spa Frankershop because Kimi Raikkonen had a bit of an owie. He had a bit of a boo boo, and they weren't sure he was going to drive. He pulled but, a hammy. Call it what it is. It was it was him yeah. probably him trying to bone his missus or something. I don't know. <laughs> sounds, like a Kim, sounds like a Kimi related injury. Um, yeah, but, but, but yeah, Marcus seems happy. He seems but, happy, but this was not a good first season, considering where his predecessor, in effectively that same car, had left off the year before. We know what that team's capable of, so, you know. And, yeah, and, and Marcus, as, as Henry said, Marcus had a few good runs going and made just silly mistakes. Yeah, rookie mistakes. I don't mean that in the good way either. Um I don't think it'd be. I don't think he's going to be. Yeah, his crash back. coming into the pits in the 500 after running seventh was just. I'm surprised that wasn't memed to hell. Yeah, and like Zach Brown's already said that they're looking elsewhere for drivers. So if you're Marcus, okay. where where the hell do you end up? Well, back. if he likes America so much, maybe IMSA. <laughs> Not a bad shot. Could also. Uh... Continue warming the bench over at Alfa Romeo. Someone's going to drive the simulator. Oh, Lord. 18th, Zach Veach, 271. Best finish, 7th. Yikes. Only in the top top three, three times. He cut down on the uh, car being on fire quite a bit this year, though. He also regressed a little bit. Quite a chunk, I'd argue. Did Zach Veach have, have one single impressive ride this in, this entire season? I think his Belle Isle weekend was probably his best weekend. Started top eight, finished top eight both times, and he also went from 20th to 7th. He's just it's, anonymous. It's, it's hard to gauge, and again, this is going to be a season next year where you have to feel much like Spencer Piggott. This is make or break for him. We've yeah. kind of turned this into our uh, impromptu IndyCars year in review session. It's great. I love it. Uh, why not? And, uh, you know, while we're here, we, we, you're getting more bang for your buck, listeners. It's great. Um, yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. Veach was just uh, a, a tall glass of media. Well, should I say really a short glass of media, given how tall he is. Um, a short glass of mediocre. He's in a contract year next year. Again, that could be another make or break year for Veach because he regressed massively at least last year if the points didn't show it he looked impressive and consistent throughout 2018 this was just not that um he was anonymous this year i think so i don't know who said it in the in the chat but yeah anonymous is is the perfect word for it and of all the full-time runners bottom of the board 261 19th place overall matt leist is he done I, i i i think he might be done you may close the book on him as being the driver who was ultimately rushed up too soon because, again, his yeah. name lit up once he won the Freedom 100 in his very first ever oval start. 
In fact, we can confirm that Marshall Pruitt said today Leist is not returning. So, he's done. That's a shame. Which which is a shame. And, you know, for somebody who has just turned 21, um, where do you go from here? Do you hope to wait it out for another part-time drive? Do you go in another direction? Do you just pack it in and stop racing and find something else to do? It's, it's, it's brutal because there is already quite a large pool of part-timers on the outside looking in. It's a massive amount of dudes that are in that same ball club. And uh, I, if Matt Lice goes into that pot, I don't think he'd be the first guy back in the line to jump back in either. Like, you know, you could even, like, Henry's gone on, gone on a tirade on the Discord saying that Foyt are career killers. It's getting to a point where it's hard to argue against that with you know, decent guys that are really solid drivers that have come through their ranks. For for one, I don't think Hawksoff was anywhere near as bad as we joked about him. You know, Carlos Munoz still makes me very sad he's not in this series full-time. He was Foyt. more than good enough to be Foyt there. are the worst team in IndyCar. Yeah. yeah, comfortably. Look at Connor Daly. Look at what Connor Daly has been able to put together for teams that are not called AJ Foyt Enterprises. No Baby's longer a, are Dale yeah. Coin the midfield. No longer are Dale Coin racing the minnows. We'll ignore the last two. F- yeah, we'll ignore the last two from Daly, but his other part-time performances this year: tenth, eleventh, thirteenth, eleventh, and sixth. Yeah, he's good enough to be in there full time, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and things only look get, like they're going to get worse for Foyt because they're losing their title sponsor next year everywhere but Indy. They're in trouble. They're in yeah. big damn trouble. Um. We'll just give some honourable mentions to some of the part-timers. Ed Jones was 20th on 217. Didn't race the ovals, I don't believe, apart from Indianapolis. Um, yeah. Meh. Another guy that's, I think, that seemingly hit the wall. Um, Which is a shame, because he two years ago he should have been Indy 500 Rookie of the Year along with Indy, 5, Indy Car Series Rookie of the Year. He was still great when he was at Dale Coyne in his rookie season as well. He was outstanding for him that season. I don't understand what's happened here. Last year, he was just underwhelming with Ganassi by Ganassi standards. Uh, this year, he ended up with a Carpenter team that is falling, that is uh, diminished returns, shall we say. Yeah, it's they've just been swall- they're swallowing. They're, like, they're, they're talent hoovers at this point, because we talked about it with Spencer. Spencer's kind of in the same boat um, in that sense. Um, yeah, Jack Harvey, though, I, w- I do want to give a shout-out to. He had 186 points in 21st this year, including that podium finish on Indianapolis's road course, a race that he was in. He was challenging for the win round. This man's been phenomenal this year in his part-time yeah. performances. Four times in the top ten. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Um, I'm hoping that if he continues on with Meyer Shank... Um, Whatever we'll Meyer Shank is up to. A, uh, yeah, they're going to be looking for a new team to partner with now that SPM yeah. is moving on to McLaren SPM. They're going to need to find another Honda team to partner with. Right. Andretti, you got some of purple. those sweet, sweet shocks laying around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, somebody bring back the purple. Shank has said they'll be full-time next year, according to Henry, which is great. I hope they found some sort of deal to make that work. 
Um, and of course, from a personal bias standpoint, we love Jack Harvey. He's a great guy. He's a he's a total nerd. We've had him on the show. He's a great guy, incredibly likable, and again, phenomenal driver. His sarcastic clapping at being taken out by Hunter Ray at Portland still remains probably <laughs> my favourite moment of the 2019 season. Um, that was hilarious, and he was running fourth in that race when he was taken out. Um, phenomenal part-time season from Harvey. About as good as you could realistically hope for, given the scenario. Um, I hope he's I mean, back full-time. When Shank has had resources behind them in sports car racing... They can do some damage. So watch for them next year. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Max Chilton. Did anyone pay attention to Max Chilton all this year? Again, just oh, no. when he, when <laughs> he was when racing, he, he was anonymous. It was a brave decision for him to call it, uh, call it a day on the ovals. But when he was racing on the road courses, um, he was basically replacement level. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I mean, he just wasn't there. He just, he just, he was just anonymous. Another guy that just, if he, had, if if he'd have been paying attention, if he hadn't been paying attention, he would not have realised he was even there. You know, bumped from five hundred qualifying, no top ten finishes, um, in in the thirteen attempts. Um, yeah. Uh, and when you stick daily in the same car and daily's cracking top tens left and right, yeah, not a good it says look. it all, really. Uh, Ed Carpenter, 23rd. Again, oval specialist Ed. Near winner uh, at Gateway. Near winner at Gateway. Second there, narrowly uh, beating him the line. Good year for Ed, all, all by all accounts. And the five ovals he raced, second at, second at Gateway, sixth at Pocono, sixth at the 500, and again was very strong all all, all during the, the the month of May. Um, and and 13, 13th in Texas and then 19th in Iowa. But can't really complain for Ed. Good year on the ovals. Um, we mentioned Connor Daly. Great job from him in, in standing in. Somebody give that man a full time job. Come on, Zach, sign him. What like yeah, McLaren, give give him a call. Like that yeah. like imagine all the social media content with the former roommates as teammates. Come on. Let's uh, make, let's I forgot about that. Let, <laughs> let's not forget IndyCar test drive when Daly was doing the quiz and he was literally using Hinchcliffe's pool to answer questions. Uh, I never said in the pool, get out. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to talk about what could have been, we mentioned Colton Herta. Patricio Ward was not seen after Elkhart late because of the Red Bull deal. His first race in a car... Uh, at Austin was something spectacular, and then he pretty much regressed to what Trevor Carlin's team was for most of the year, including missing the Indianapolis 500. Indeed. Sigh. Uh, it's a shame. Um, I, and I, I hope Pano gets a full-time Formula 2 gig and is able to... He, I mean, he made it quite clear when he joined Red Bull's Academy. He wants to, Formula 1 is the goal for him. It's not IndyCar. Um, you know, it's a fair enough. You know, he was bumped from Indy 500, did not qualify. You know, Carlin's not a great unit. We know this. The talent is more than there. We know it. Um, so, yeah, wish him all the best in, in, in Europe. I hope it works out for him out there. Good luck with Dr. Marco. Yeah, have fun with that. Everybody else, effectively, with just 500 runners will only have a handful of appearances. You know, Sage Karam, Davison, etc. And one Kyle Kaiser, who is the reason why one Spaniard is not officially counted in the IndyCar points. Fernando Alonso, zero points. 
<laughs> Even Jordan King had 12. Oh, dear. Ladies and gentlemen, that will do it for IndyCar in 2019. You know, some of your... Uh, any any favorite any highlights, folks? You know any any lasting things to take away from twenty nineteen before we get out of here? Ah, uh, I was completely wrong about Laguna Seca being unraceable. Never got that one wrong. Let's see. Gateway continues to be a stellar track. Just to spite you, Steve, when the replay comes out, I'm going to rewatch the Indy five hundred at least five times. Simon Paginode can actually perform with the Universal Aero Kit and is not dead weight at Penske. This rookie Indy class is one of the fun. best of all time. Oh, yeah, um, an awesome rookie class. Colton Herta Scott is real. Felix Rosenquist is real. Touching back on the champion. Um, he continues to operate at such a consistent level. He is only 28 years old. He's already become a two-time champion. And you have to feel good health willing that there is more and more championships he has the potential to be the most marketable man in the championship, and you still get the sense that IndyCar is missing something with him because he checks all the boxes. Both of the Absolutely. all of the championship contenders this year, they all check the boxes, but especially Newgarden and Rossi, and yet they focus on Ferrucci. Still don't it's, get it. It's the damnedest thing. Newgarden was better than he was the first time he won the title in 2017, and I would not be shocked if he made it three out of four in 2020. It like, wouldn't surprise me at all. He is a model driver, a model of consistency. He can have outstanding performances when he needs to. He led more laps than anybody else in 2019. Um, and now all know, he's missing is the Indy 500. It's amazing he's not really challenged for one in a couple of years. It's, it's been kind of wild on that one. He's always been on the outside looking in on that front. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, New Garden is phenomenal. And I've said it before. He, I made an entire video talking about this two years ago. So much so that quotes from that video ended up being used in Indy 500 preview footage. I'm still quite proud of that one, actually. Uh, M101 on national television. Uh, but... Um, yeah, you know, Joseph Newgarden is a phenomenal driver, and I think he deserves the last word on this show. He is a phenomenal driver, a model of consistency, a handsome devil, an incredibly charismatic and likable guy who's funny, who can be goofy, who doesn't take himself too seriously. He's got an awesome family. He's incredibly likable, and he should be the face of this series and it just doesn't feel like he has been and even though he's won two of the last three championships I just find that mind-boggling that IndyCar does is, it might end up dropping the ball with another brilliant young talent still in his 20s who can win any given series at will with Penske he's a he's a phenomenal phenomenal talent and I still find it mind-boggling that the producers behind IndyCar at NBC will just take the biggest check and hype up the 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 second of the worst rookies of the year instead in a series that we talk about has up until a couple of years ago was lacking homegrown talent now has it bursting at the seams and New Garden leads the charge and and he's got him Alex Rossi Graham Rahal and Colton Herter all behind him. And they are all phenomenal talents, and um, there'll be more coming through. I'm, I'm without, without any doubt in my mind. He's a phenomenal racing driver. He's one of the best in the world, pound for pound, in any series. And long may it continue. And IndyCar, don't drop the ball with this kid. 
don't. You will live to regret it. He and Alex Rossi are the two fastest drivers on North American soil right now. They're two probably the ten fastest drivers on the planet right now. You could have a rivalry for the next decade. Don't pass this opportunity up. Seriously, you will live to regret it. And as places well. you can find us, yeah, places we you can find us one more time. <clears throat> YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One, Twitter um, at Motorsport Underscore One Hundred One, and our personal handles Harrison One Hundred One HD at Ryan Eric King at RJ O'Connell. Um, at C Buckley nine one seven, our website motorsport101.com and again, but you can back us financially on Patreon. Both these episodes in this double header are available for just a buck. So now is as good a time as ever to be a Patreon backer before it goes back up to five dollars again for ready access to all of our shows. Um, Ten dollars gets you in the supporters club of our Discord Discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they're being recorded. Thanks everybody who came in and listened during this awkwardly timed. Um, doubleheader. Just a quick behind-the-scenes note before we go as well. We're going to start recording these on Wednesday going forward rather than Monday. Hopefully this won't affect our turnover too much going forward. Um, I'll keep you guys posted on that I'll make sure, as well. I'll make sure of that. I'll make sure of that um, yeah. as well. Um, if I may, just one last word. Um, mm-hmm. uh, on a personal level, because if I was if I was hope if Newgarden didn't win the title, I was hoping that Rossi would for our friend of the show, S. Connors, who has oh, yes. just had their surgery and are recovering now. And we thank everybody who gave to that. And we're very glad. I'm glad, Connors, that you're back on the mend. Much quicker Indeed. than anticipated. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, like, they're Brock- just like du- dumping all the prescription pain medicine they were given and just like, Tylenol's good. Yeah, yeah. What a legend. Yeah, Corners is phenomenal. A, a real champ. Um, you know, a phenomenal person living their best life. So, so, yeah, on behalf of all of us at M101, a massive thank you for everyone who spread the word and even donated. You guys are a wonderful community. Um, we're very honored to be able to represent all of you. And thank you for always finding a way to paying it forward and giving back to what makes this show very very special indeed and it's you guys that go out and listen to us so thank you so much for everyone who donated towards connor's surgery we really 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 are grateful so thank you so much for that on that and that's on connor's behalf so thank you all thank you everybody on that front we'll be back next week to talk about oh god it's, it's going to be another fun time in russia for the for formula one at sochi that should be great <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, again, uh, Formula One has had so many exciting races. We just need a nap. Yeah. We just need a, Watch we, it we need be a more break. wild than Germany. We need an afternoon nap. Oh, no. Let's have fun with that. Russia, next week. Until then, thanks for listening to this incredible doubleheader. And let's not forget that after all of this, Joseph Newgarden went out of his way and reclaimed the one. Thanks for watching. Sayonara. Woo! Oof. Still got the baby Borg. <laughs>